What's up, team female? Welcome to Female Political Strategy. Female first, female forward, politically non-binary. I'm Ro. I'm Lilith. And I'm Elle. Our guest today is Iranian filmmaker and actress Shagaye Navrozi. She's here with us today to talk about the Me Too movement in Iran, as well as the latest feminist hashtag, Let Us Talk, a movement against compulsory hijab in Iran. Thank you so much for joining us, Shah. Do you mind introducing yourself and tell us about your background as an actress in Iran? Yes, of course. Thank you. Me too. I want to thank you for having me here. Okay, about my background in Iran. So as you mentioned, I'm an actress. I study theater in my country. So I start my job as an actress there soon and early. After one year that passed from my study, I get my first project um, as a main actress in a series. That it was the point that I face... Um, a serious type of uh, discrimination. All these things about Me Too uh, that you mentioned comes from that point, my first experience as a professional, my first professional experience in my country as an actress. And yes, now um, I'm out of my country. Um, I'm in Barcelona. Normally now I uh, introduce myself as an activist, uh, women rights activist, and I focus on Me Too movement inside Iran. I was wondering if you could tell us more about what kind of discrimination did you face when you were working on a film set on your first project there? Good question, yes. When you ask me this question about my countries, I wanted to clarify this, that at the first step, we become a stop in our career for our independency on that country with that situation that the government make and how much this is important. Different kind of discrimination. But as you know, um, all uh, we face as a women in uh, this kind of country that is under the Sharia law, under the politic Islamic law, all we face, it's uh, struggle, and they make every steps for us so difficult that we cannot move and we non-stop face closed doors. If I want to come back to my experience in my work, I started as a young woman with a lots of expectations. So I studied very hard uh, in university and I was very good actually on my job. So the first step, it was that, okay, I took that job and now I have to change all my identity how I have to be a kind of Islamic model in front of the camera. It was never before than this that much clear how much they treat us as an object, you know. For example, the way that they fix the hijab over my head with glue and different things, they fix it the way that they put clothes over my body to control everything. You know, it was a kind of, for me, dehumanizing. All these things happened and a little by little I was discovering that, okay, all these things is happening because we as the women, as the women uh, that we choose to be, become actors, we are a kind of billboard for them to put us in front of the camera and show the good the good Islamic model of a woman that they want to show to the, to the world, even the, to the Iranian society. All this responsibility they put over our shoulder. Another point it was exactly few meters behind the camera they have people there to control that okay everything be fixed our body don't move so much any expression of our body with all this i face sexual harassment very easily from the man that worked there on that place i face assault i face abuse i found myself that okay i have to accept all this is in front of the camera and behind this camera i don't have any support uh my first job it was seven months shooting the whole series and seven months i face harassment from the, the man that worked there from the director and the others uh man that worked there for them it was super easy to do these. The harassment you face in the film industry, which is unfortunately extremely common. That's a discussion we've had here in the United States as well, um, as far as a lot of these directors, producers, etc., treating female actresses, treating female staff like, you know, they work for their own personal brothel rather than professionals. Yeah, I couldn't help but notice this contradiction that on the one hand, they're expecting you to act like this perfect Islamic model, you know, with the hijab and looking very chaste, but at the same time, you're being sexually harassed while expecting to act like a perfect Islamic model. It's a double standard there. Exactly, exactly. This double standard is something that, thank you that you bring it. Yes, exactly like this. Another point that you mentioned that, okay, it's a common topic, the sexual harassment, especially in the places that um, system works so much with power, like, I don't know, Hollywood and this kind of places. That, that's true. Yes, yes, it's a, it's a common a common topic, unfortunately. 
But I want to tell you that I find some exception in Iran. The system uh, on that country, the law especially, they didn't criminalize very well different types of harassment against women and they didn't want to do it and they still don't want to do it. They don't want to acknowledge this is harassment and it happened. They don't want to make a consequence for the man that they are doing this. It's a lot of safe place for the man to do it easily. And the other point is that it's super hard. This is the difference, I think, points from me to inside Iran and, and in the other country that I see it. That for us, it's a complicated fight to make them to accept the first step. And the first step is that you have to accept, you have to acknowledge this is a crime. You have to criminalize it and give us this opportunity, this basic right. If we want to come to the law and um, accuse them, we have to have the basic, basic, you know, things to do this. And we don't have it this still. So in Iran, they don't have any mechanism to report sexual harassment and sexual harassment isn't necessarily seen as a crime at all. Yes. The only thing that is uh, that they accept it as a crime is rape. Um, so this makes a lot of problem for us because all the harassment that we face, all the sexual violence that we face, it's not just rape, you know, it's different kinds that we face. I think in a way that they want always ignore the rights of women. They want always push us back to say that it's better that you be careful about yourself and don't come so much in the public. They want to ignore all this, uh, all their faces of sexual violence. And in general, sexual violence under the Republic Islamic law, it became, in my mind, in my opinion, tools in their hands to control the, the social presence of women, control our being in the society. They control it with this. That's generally the popular and common feminist thought about why sexual violence is often not taken seriously, except for the very extreme cases, is because they benefit by socially shrinking women, legally, socially, and politically shrinking women through threats of sexual violence. These lesser sexual crimes, as it were, are just ways for them to maintain power and make sure that women don't have power to demand basic rights, equal pay, et cetera, and also that they can maintain sexual access to women. So I think that's a very poignant statement that you just made. Yes, exactly. And other things is related and important here that maybe we can go through this to let's us talk hashtag. It's mandatory hijab. One of their most powerful tools that they have to normalize sexual uh, violence against women under Islamic law, it's to using this excuse that okay, mandatory hijab could save you. Because of this, we say, we say put hijab. And because of this, we, uh, we put police for hijab and all this, this, this stuff around this. So then if you be a good woman with a good hijab, then so maybe you can have less sexual violence. That is... Um, extremely false. Yeah. Extremely <laughs> false and, and extremely unfair. The oppression that we feel... With just hearing this, this sentence, maybe you cannot understand it, uh, when, when you didn't leave it on that country, that you face this amount of sexual violence and they control you that much with sexual violence on that country in a step by a step. And they can easily say that we don't have law to acknowledge it. You could put hijab. I also find that it's used in a very victim-blaming way. So if sexual violence does happen to a woman, it's like, oh, it's because you weren't wearing hijab correctly or, you know, you weren't presenting yourself in a certain way. You have to wear the hijab to protect yourself from sexual violence. But if you don't wear it correctly and sexual violence happens to you, then it's your fault kind of thing. It's ironic how contradictory the social application... I, I grew up Muslim for context, by the way. So it's interesting how the Quran and the Prophet talks about hijab for... Like the purpose of it is like to protect a woman's modesty, right? And then you get it applied from a legal protection and the very thing that's supposed to protect us and keep us safe and but is weaponized against women. And so it's worth acknowledging that the social application of hijab is very different than the religious application of hijab. I don't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. 
I'm totally agree with you. Uh, yes, the point exactly because of this, I mentioned mandatory hijab because um, I, I want to exactly speak about this point that when you when you want to use this religious role, that it can be a choice of some women as a rule for a country and put police for it and put consequences for the women that they don't want to obey this rule and you use it as a politic tools you are using it for oppressing half of that society by their women you really summarized it really well i never really lived in a place that um i've lived in the middle east but i've never lived in like saudi or anything like that where it's compulsory by the government whereas it's a social choice or a cultural imposition so it's very interesting how it plays out in countries where it's now a political tool that religious concept is now a political tool to control how women and men interact vice like a cultural or religious thing where it's a relationship between you and god and like you guarding your modesty is now something you're doing in the name of god i just wanted to talk a little bit about how it plays out differently in iran than like the muslim community throughout the world where it's not as like a political tool totally agree i want to just just add something that i think the importance of fighting against mandatory hijab fighting against policy the hijab it's exactly about this that it can be choose of some women it's a religious belief okay they as well have this right to you know have it and keep this choice respectful you know because of this i think we have all of us we have to mobilize ourselves to stop the mandatory hijab this way that some islamic government just abusing it you know as a tool mandatory hijab it's a big issue in our country i don't know how much from outside you see the real face of how much is violence how much it's tough and unfair that how you put your clothes in the street, maybe a police can come and take you with force. And how we suffer it, you know, it mandatory hijab became a kind of trauma for us because we grow up with this fear that when in the street they will arrest us. When they arrest my sister, when they will arrest my friend, what happened for my friend when they arrest them. And we have to pay a lot for this. It costs, it costs so high for us. Some of the women are in prison now, 10 years in prison, 20 years in prison because they fight against mandatory hijab. The way that they treat us, this tool against women, all during our life as an Iranian woman, it can be enough for all the women in the world to understand how much is important to stop this and fight it, Muslim and, and not Muslim, to understand that how much is important that we stop this government to use like this, this kind of religious tools. When I talk to religious women who talk about why they wear hijab, they often say to me that it helps them feel closer to God. Um, they often say that it makes them feel naked if they don't wear it. I mean, I'm, I'm of the view that the government has no place legislating what clothing women are allowed to wear. But I just feel that when hijab is mandatory, I feel like it almost undermines some of those reasons why women might, women who say that they choose to wear hijab, that is. I mean, whether it's an actual choice, that's another matter. But the reasons that they give, that it gives, makes them feel closer to God, that it helps them feel more modest and so on, doesn't that relationship with God, it's almost like cheapened by the fact that the government is forcing you to wear it, you know? If you're wearing it because the government is forcing you, you know, that's not the same reason as uh, living in a country where it's optional and then choosing to wear that. I hope that makes sense. It's not really a question, but I wanted to know what you thought about that. I get it. You know, it's. I understand totally that hijab, it's a sensitive topic. Uh, why is it like this? Because some other women that they choose to wear hijab in the other countries. Sometimes they face the discrimination. Maybe they, um, we know it. Maybe they cannot work in special places or maybe... The way that part of the society look at them, it's with a kind of judge. These things are as well important. And it's fact and it's important. Yes, that is true. And because of this, this topic is that much sensitive. The point is that I think when we, are, we want to speak about hijab, this is very important that the direction that we want to take will put the cast over the shoulder of the women or over the shoulder of the systems. I never want that our fight against mandatory hijab make blame against for the other women that they want to take hijab as a choice and they want to wear it. This is not this is not the point. This is not what you want. This is not that what what it, it should happen. Because of this, I never spoke about the philosophy of hijab. That how is it? Um, you know, me. If you ask me, but for myself, a personal question. That how you think about hijab? I think I don't agree with the philosophy. Okay, 
of hijab. It was just my, my personal opinion about hijab. I can accept that in a free country, when the women have the free choice for real, free choice is plus the, how the society look at them, how the racism came through the hijab, affect them, a stigma over them. If none, none of this exists and they choose hijab, it's okay. So this is very important that it's not about our personal belief about the philosophy of hijab. It's about using a mandatory hijab as a tool for oppressing women. It's totally unfair. It's, it's nightmare. If you are angry about this, I think for the women that like to wear hijab and for all of us, the women like me, that they don't like it, they don't choose it, they don't want it for their life. Uh, we have all of us uh, come together and fight, fight against this abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to be very clear, you know, for any listeners, I'm sure we're going to get accused of I don't know, this conversation, people who don't like this topic might, you know, dismiss it out of hand as being Islamophobic. But I just want to be very clear that for women who do want to wear hijab, any racism or mistreatment of them absolutely should be condemned. You know, in the West where Muslims are a minority, what we're talking about is very different. What we're talking about is the Islamic regime of Iran, which is... um, I don't know if I would call it a totalitarian government, but it's a very oppressive. It's a totalitarian, 100%. It's very much so. Yeah. So we're talking about a totalitarian regime that uses hijab as a way of oppressing women. And so I don't want to make enemies with religious women. I'd hope that, at least I'd hope that religious women would support their sisters oppressed by this horrible regime. Yeah, no, thank you for clarifying between the two, because there's definitely, and that's kind of what the difference I was trying to draw earlier was like, when you take religious concepts and now bring it up to governance and politics, now you've taken something that's inherently like between you and God and made it between like a societal and like a political thing. It does play out very, very differently. And I would wanted to address like the whole Islamophobia comment, like this is nothing to do with actual like Islam. Islam is a religion in which somebody professes their personal faith in God, Prophet Muhammad being the final prophet. And it's just like, it's between you and God and the Sharia, the law, the religious law says how you should act in the eyes of God. And it's very different than this construct that exists within Islam now being brought up and being enforced by man. So now it's not a religious thing. It's now a societal thing that has roots in religion. So I think what's happening in like Saudi Arabia, where women covering is also compulsory and in Iran is that it's politicized and how that's impacting women. It's very worth noting. Great. Thank you for all your points. Uh, I, I agree. The only thing that I want to say that, uh, yes, Islamophobia, of course, a part of this issue. The Western society have to reflect over themselves and it come from racism. A part is this. But uh, the other part that I think we have to take a look at it, it's the result of the action of the totalitarian uh, country like Iran, that they use Islam as a tool. A part, it comes from there as well, in my opinion. The way that they um, abuse the religious rules, it makes bad face, you know, from Islam or any other religious that they want to use, abuse it as a, as a tool. I mean, I believe we have to take a look on their responsibility as well, that what they did when they used like this Islam as a tool. Yeah, and I, I do know that there's, I'm aware that there is a sort of tension between uh, women in Iran who support the regime, who are pro-compulsory hijab, and women who do not support the regime, who are anti-compulsory hijab. So could you tell us more about that? Oh, when you uh, you tell me that is a conflict between the women that they support the regime and the other women, it's like that you say, for example, I don't know, in the Nazi time, okay, some people support them and the others that they were in Auschwitz and the other the people that under that situation they didn't support. It, it's something like it's in the meaning that I want to say, yes, it's clear that any regime have a supporters, but this don't mean that it's the society that is two side. This is not this. Actually, the government inside Iran, they are trying so hard to show it like this. No, it's not like this. The government inside Iran, the system inside Iran is a dictatorship, one of the worst dictatorship in this century. And when we are talking about, okay, some people support them, we don't have to fall in this mistake that, okay, a part of the society are supporting them. No, actually, it's limited majority of people that they have a lot of benefit from the, the system and they support them. That's clear. But Easily, me, I can say that, okay, they are not part of the society. They are the government. They are the other side. And actually, 
they are a limited number. Clearly, they are a limited number. They had lots of benefits with lots of guns and uh, weapons. So, yes, yes, they, they are there. I mean, this is not a, a problem between two parts of society that part they support the regime and then they support hijab. It's women inside my country. They're okay with hijab. I mean, they choose it. Like my mother, for example, they wear hijab. But they are against mandatory hijab. So mandatory hijab is not something like that. It's a choice over the table. Okay, some of the people take it, some of the people know. Mandatory hijab now, it's become a politic tool for oppressing. That is not something that, okay, some people put their hands just as a choice over it or some, some others know. The people that they take it and they say, okay, we are okay with mandatory hijab. This means that we are okay with oppressing people. This means we are okay with the regime. So you are with the regime, with a dictatorship regime, okay, so you are on the side that all the society in Iran, all the Iranians, they are fighting with you. Yeah, that's a very important point that you brought up about how there are some women like your mother who wear hijab for themselves personally, but they don't agree with mandatory hijab as a political tool. And yeah, even in my earlier question, it was maybe a little not phrased well, because yeah, it's not like a both sides are equally valid with different perspectives kind of thing. You know, the people who support mandatory hijab support oppressing other people. Yeah, no, I, I think like something we're kind of touching on here is consent, right? So like now you're taking the ability to consent to a religious, because like God in the Quran says like, hey, in order to follow my way and do the right thing, this is what I need you to do. And then in the end, he'll judge you. But at the end of the day, you have free will, you have consent. And I think the governments are robbing women of this consent. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yes. Well, um, consent. Yes, it, it's a word that it brings lots of meanings about the topic of a hijab. Yes, I, I'm agree with you. Uh, just if I want to say something about your comment, it's even consent making meaning in situation that it can exist, you know, because of this, even now in Iran, it's not very easy for us to um, talk about it that, okay, you're consent about it or not. Yes, about hijab. Yes, you like to have it by yourself. Okay, that's okay. But even on that situation, I'm, I'm talking about my country and the regime that now is on that country. Under the force of that regime, you like to wear hijab, but the next question come up and it's important for me that what you feel about me that I don't like to wear it. What you feel about me that uh, when I go out, you know, I, I, I have to be afraid about how much my hijab is okay for them or not. Or I will, I will come back home without uh, get arrested or not. Your point is completely correct. Just I wanted to add this, that yes, even the consent in that country face a lot of different problems, you know. Yeah, and we've talked about consent within the context of, uh, you know, sex and stuff and how... Is it really consent if you're being forced to or if something bad is going to happen to you if you say no? That's not really consent, right? That's that's coercion. So yeah, and it, I think what Elle was saying is that in a, in a country where it's mandatory and where you'll be punished if you don't wear it, it's actually not possible to consent, even for the women who say that say yes. It's like, I don't know if you saw this video, Shaw, that was making the rounds on Twitter the past few days, but it was a bunch of Arab women decided to prank their male family members by saying that they were going to take off hijab, and they meant it as a joke, but all of the men responded by like slapping them, hitting them, kicking them, beating them. And the caption of the video was like, what would, ha what would have happened if they were serious, if they actually wanted to take off hijab, right? So a lot of people were sending that around saying, send this video to women who say, oh, it's their choice or it's my choice and so on. Because it's, if you're being forced to do it, it's not really consent. Yes, exactly. Uh, another thing uh, is that clearly the topic of hijab, it became super politic, you know. Yes, we speak about it. That is a choice. It's a religion. That is true. It should be like this. But exactly because it exists, this kind of political Islamic country, especially because the existence hijab, I think it became super politic in all around the world. Sometimes when, you, when we are talking about it, when we are talking all the women, I mean, the most of them that I know, uh, they think like me about hijab. We are fighting against the mandatory hijab. When the topic comes like this, that what about the women that they choose hijab? We say that, okay, we have to, we have to fight for the right as well. We have to support them, of course. But another thing always it come in my mind uh, and never it's that much easy to talk about it. And that is that they fight for us as well or not. I mean, for a topic that is that much politic, 
Me, I do this if the women that they choose hijab face discrimination in any country, I put hijab and I fight with them. I put just hijab for being with them. I never know if a woman chose hijab, do this for me and take off the hijab. It was something always in my, in, in my mind that never I could really speak about it. I, I always wanted to ask my mother that I support your right, always. But for this topic that is that much politics, this is more than religious now. You do this for me to take off your hijab and come with me to the street just for supporting me in my battle, in my fight. You know, this is another point. Um, I don't know what you think about it. No, I think that's a very important point, actually, because, you know, we <laughs> will we'll say, oh, yeah, we should support a woman's right to wear hijab if she chooses. But the women who choose to wear hijab, would they support women who choose not to? And the answer, when I talk to religious women, the answer generally is no, actually. And it's not just a Muslim woman. I talk to Christian women, too, where they use liberalism as like, oh, you know, let you know, freedom of religion, like, let me practice my religion, don't infringe on my religious rights and so on. Um, but they don't really support my decision not to believe in God. You know what I mean? Like, they want liberalism to support their religious rights, but they don't apply that to other people who don't believe the same things that they do. So, yeah, I think that's... I, and the other thing is with female dating strategy, with female political strategy, we do teach women a sort of radical self-interest where you should fight for the things that are beneficial to you and not worry too much if it hurts other people's feelings. You know, we get this a lot in conversations around feminism where they go oh but patriarchy hurts men too oh you know we should fight for fathers we should fight for this and that but those same men who benefit from feminism fighting on their behalf they wouldn't fight on the behalf of rights of women right so I think it's important to focus just on your issues and uh, not get too bogged down with if your activism is hurting other people's feelings I'm agree with you um, but I want to circle the conversation back to earlier when you were talking about sexual violence and how in Iran um, sexual harassment isn't a crime, only rape is a crime. I wanted to ask you what actually happens if you were raped in Iran and can you walk us through the steps of how the legal system treats women who have been actually sexually assaulted? Yes, of course, but it's a very long story. I, I will try to tell you brief that what will happen. So as you know, I work uh, for Me Too movement inside Iran, so I face day by day uh, different cases that how much women are fighting. So what is it is that the system, the, the main things that this system, it's a victim blaming culture. They put this, this kind of victim blaming culture, not just on the mind of society, the way that the law works as well it worked like this so since the first step that you want to take action and go for reporting you have to be ready to face a lot of terrible things first you think that okay just the system don't work well just the system don't work good but little by little you get that no i mean systematically they don't want you come forward they systematically they prefer themselves for this okay law exists just one law exists for you to come if you face something terrible like rape okay it exists just this first of all it's just this even for this when you want to come forward and you want to take action since the first step you face the horrible things like how they get their the report how they treat you these uh, small steps super hard to continue they, they put all this for a victim that already faced a trauma and on another hand what it exists and it makes a lot of trouble it's that the kind of double standard in each life you can find. In general, I know that even you face this in your country and because of this, me to start in uh, the United States and Europe, that when you wanted to report, when you wanted to follow it, okay, the system worked in a way to protect the man. That is true. But in Iran, the system worked to protect the man. Plus this, it's a lot of religion rules that can be dangerous for the women. For example, if you go to report a rape, that is happening in a house that you get there with your boyfriend, for example, or with a man that you wanted to have a date with him and the rape happened. A big danger, a woman faced a big danger from the religious law that you didn't have the right to do this. You didn't have the right to go with a man out of the marriage. So the penalty of this, it may be, maybe she can face um, penalty of death because we have this. 
that if you go out of the marriage, I, I don't know, relationship with a man, it, it can happen for you this. Maybe in, in some cases it can happen. Some religious rule that it's super dangerous for the women. If you drink wine, all these things can be dangerous for the women. Because of this, I saw the Me Too Inside Iran special and I'm super proud of what we are doing. We are not just fighting with a patriarchy system. It's a little bit more than this and more hard for us. Some cases when we speak together and they want to go for a report, we speak with different lawyers. We have to talk about a lot of things that, okay, what is the consequence for this woman that she wants to go to report a rape? Maybe they will maybe something more more dangerous will happen for her maybe they will arrest her maybe they will um, they, I don't know what is exactly again the word but it's a kind of punishment by law that they beat somebody oh flogging like latching flogging exactly maybe she have to take flogging we have to calculate all these things with all of this the women go and in me too we had we had uh, some success as well we could accuse some of them some of the uh, men that they have serial rapes but it's a little bit more hard what me too in the other countries countries face and the point is that we don't have voice i mean Somehow nobody knows what, what we are doing in the Me Too in Iran, you know, how much we are fighting for the basics and how much this is important for the women. They take all these risks. We have a small page in Instagram. Um, I don't think 20,000 followers just. We can link it in the show notes. Thank you. But this page making shake all the country and all the men because the women come and they give us their narrative and they come forward and sometimes they put their name, they put the narrative with the name of the man and they, their own name inside the country. Easily the government can say that it's your fault that you are with a man out of the marriage and we will punish you. But they come and they do it. And we gain a lot of good success. I'm happy with what women are doing about me to inside Iran. You made a lot of brilliant points there. The first one I wanted to reiterate was your point earlier about how people say, oh, the system is broken. The system is, you know, not helping women report rape and so on. But the system is actually working exactly as it was intended to. The system was not designed to benefit women who face sexual assault. The system was designed to benefit men, right? The difficulty for women reporting rape in Iran and in other countries, but especially in Iran, the difficulty associated with that is not a bug, it's a feature. Like, that's the whole point, is to, to make it difficult for women to report rape and sexual assault. The other one at point about victim blaming and how the Me Too movement is hard enough in the West, but in Iran, there's that added level of difficulty just because of the Sharia law and the totalitarian oppressiveness of the regime, right? So me, if I had to report rape in Canada, the police might ask me some tough questions. It's going to be very traumatizing and so on. I don't have to worry about being literally flogged because I was alone with a man when I shouldn't have been, right? So yeah, two, those are two points I just really wanted to, to really emphasize. Um, but tell us more about the Me Too movement, because I really like your point about naming the men who are rapists. And us at FDS, we're all about cyberbullying shitty men. We love doing that. And so can you tell us more about some of the men who have either raped women or done other shady things and how your page has held them accountable? Sure, of course. We had some very important case. The men, the rapists that assault or rape lots of women and they were famous, even internationally. Like, for example, Mohsen Namju, that is a singer, a pop singer, very well known. I mean, now he's in the United States. And Or, for example, Agdashlu, that he's a very, very famous painter. We had some cases like this. Even we have a case that it was very important for us because that guy, he present himself as a women rights activist and you cannot believe how was the cases and he raped several women students all that cases that i i named them they became public and we published it and even after us we became successful to bring some of them even to the important newspaper or media european press and american press published what happened so we fight a lot to bring it there and it was very heavy cases but we did it and it was not just our page um, you know we are a part of the movement the movement it's uh, more bigger than this and the other feminists 
feminists, Iranian feminists help us, that they are not particularly, especially work on Me Too, but in this kind of very hard case, they, they help us, they give us voice. These kind of things, it was a big kind of success that give us lots of energy, give the Iranian women lots of energy that, okay, we can do it finally. But um, this is not, in my opinion, the main things that Me Too Inside Iran is doing. The main things, it's about the narrative of the women that they are unknown, and the rapist is unknown as well. For me, the main is there, and they come day by day, more than 20 narrative to our page. We speak with them, we publish them, sometimes without name, sometimes with name, when we can a little bit go closer to the case. They have their effect as well. Why it's more important for us that case is because uh, practical things that we want to happen inside the country come toward that cases. When 10 women come and give their narratives about that man that he was psychologist and he assaulted lots of women in um, the psychology meeting. So this affects the whole psychology society that work inside Iran. And we force them to reflect and we force them that even the law don't work, even the law is protecting this situation. Give this benefit to the man to assault and don't have consequences. Even all of this, you are, as a student of psychologists, for example, as a people that work on the field, you have responsibility to do something about this, to do something about this tenority. These kind of things that we do, it's exactly practically inside Iran. These things are, are making a kind of change. Um, we can see this change, that women are more brave, women come more more easier forward and speak about it, come more easier together. Now we have more easier, for example, 10 women that come together to speak about what happened in their university about their professor, for example, and support each other to go through this case and accuse him and make consequences for him. Some other things that we do in this kind of cases that is not very famous and it's not a lots of media that they are interested about it. We feel that it's just us that we have to do something about it. For this kind of cases, we try to mobilize each other and help each other for make consequence for the man. For example, we write letter and we put it online for signature and we collect more than, I don't know, 20,000 signature. Just asking the manager, the director of that university that you have to answer us why this professor worked there. We do this kind of little action that really have effect, I think. I mean, what I see of the result, okay, it's growing, it's, it's become more and more. And always when we publish, for example, a narrative, this is really magic that it goes to the place that we want. I mean, the rapist, the man uh, that they protect him around him, all of them, they hear, they read it. I don't know how always in this small page, when we put a narrative, it goes exactly what we want to go. And it affects exactly the part of the society that we want to affect. And it affects their life. It affects the society that support them. Our page is making consequence for the man that they assault and they do sexual violence. This is very, very big success for us, you know, because it's a small page. We are a small team. Lots of women support us. And yes, we are happy for this. That's such an important point about the work that you do. It's not even about holding individual men accountable. It's about creating cultural change, essentially, and coming up with these counter narratives to combat the, you know, misogynistic or the victim blaming narratives. And also, I, I love the fact that you are forcing these men to face consequences outside of, you know, sort of extrajudicial justice, you know. Uh, and it's important because if you're in a country where the laws are not designed to benefit women and the laws are designed to benefit men. It's almost like you have to think outside the legal system. We get this a lot in the West too, where, you know, whenever there's a problem or, you know, some kind of sexist problem that's going on, it's often about like, oh, we need to make this illegal. We need to pass new laws. We need to contact our representatives and so on. And often, you know, if the culture itself is not where it needs to be, those laws almost don't matter. They're not going to make as much of an impact if you haven't made the cultural changes as well. So I love the fact that you're getting guys fired if, for, you know, professors and getting them, holding them accountable. Um, I wanted to talk about the Let Us Talk movement because I've seen this hashtag, Let Us Talk, trending on Twitter. And just for some background, this hashtag, I believe it was started by journalist Masi Alinejad, and she's a journalist and uh, activist from Iran. And she made a tweet about how when she was a child, 
that um, I'm just going to read her tweet. She said, in Iran, I was told if I don't wear a job, I get kicked out from school. I get jailed, lashes beaten up and kicked out of my country. In the West, I'm told sharing my story will cause Islamophobia. I'm a woman from the Middle East and I'm scared of Islamic ideology. Let us talk. And ever since then, there's been a ton of women who are sharing their stories, including you. And I just have to say, I really, really appreciate and admire all these Iranian queens who are talking about their experiences with compulsory hijab. And so I was wondering if you could tell us more about the Let Us Talk movement and any involvement you've had so far and, and what, where, what direction do you see that going in? Thank you for this question. Let Us Talk is about uh, what previously we talked about it, about how much politic is this topic and how we have to take attention to it. The point about Let Us Talk that is interesting for me, it's that the audience, they take the audience of this hashtag to other countries like Europe and United States. We want actually that the the people there, the society and community, they're here. What we are saying, um, hear us. Why? Because, you know, this Islamic regime, they are based on oppressing women. <laughs> the base of this kind of systems is uh, on oppressing women. Look uh, what happening now in Afghanistan, for example, when Taliban come, what they do. The first group that they oppress is women. In Iran, exactly this happened. They came inside, the Khomeini came, and the first thing that, the first thing that he did, he put the law of mandatory hijab. It was the first thing that he did. And why that is important? Oppressing women, why is important for them? Oppressing women is important for them because if they become successful to make normalize oppressing a group of people like this, Oppressing like this, that even we decide what you have to wear, we control your body like this, that we put you under hijab and we put police for this. If it become normal and the other part of society accept this, then they can do everything that they want. Then the oppressing become normal and this happen in, inside my country. So they have some clever kind of clever mind that they target women first because of this they actually as well because of this they are that much afraid uh, from women movement they, they they scare from us and we are dangerous for them Massey that you mentioned her we have one special law inside our country now that if you send video for Massey you will face 10 years prison just for her what there's a law specifically just about her yes specifically about her if you send a video for her, you will face 10 years in the jail, between 6 or 10 years. And women exist now that they face this. Again, they put, they send video for her. They, they afraid from women movement. You don't know what we do with them. They afraid from me too. Why is this? Because if women movement becomes successful, if we can achieve what we want with fighting against mandatory hijab, we can achieve what we want with fighting against sexual violence, they will not exist. They exist with this identity that we oppress the women. So this is important now that if the Western community want to know what is exactly the Islamic regime, what is exactly the face, they have to hear us. They have to hear our experiences. We can tell them what is exactly this and why is that much urgent and important to stop them. Why is that much ur urgent to stopping negotiate with them? Stopping this, and if they listen and they hear our voice, we can tell them that we can do our job perfectly. We can mobilize ourselves. We can do our movement perfectly. We have a strategy for doing this. We don't need nothing. We just need that you don't negotiate with them. Just this. I mean, they negotiate with them because they reject our sounds, because they don't want to face with the reality that what is happening you know, I hear this sometimes, that easily in, in the news I read that politicians say that, okay, hijab is a kind of culture inside Iran. You don't know what's the meaning of this sentence for us. What's the meaning of this sentence for, it's a kind of marking our fights, make invisible all what we are doing inside this country. With this kind of sentences between the European politician or between the United States politician, easily you make, you devaluate all we made. Little by little, with our, our pain, we made it together. Easily, we make it invisible. Nothing. The hashtag, the importance of the hashtag of Let's Us Talk. It's about that. If you want to understand what is happening there, 
and why they are that much dangerous for the whole world. You have to hear women's voice. We can tell you why they are that much dangerous. We can tell you that what you have to do. Don't negotiate with them. Don't accept them. Don't put this mandatory hijab when they want women politician. Why should put that much easy, the mandatory hijab, and come inside my country and speak with that corruption government? Just say that uh, it's okay. It's a kind of culture. I accept it. Why is this dangerous? We can tell you why, why is this dangerous. Because they are alive with oppressing us. If they continue to being alive, they will continue all these things that is not just about Iran, it's about the whole world. If you want to stop all these things that they are doing, hear us, put value over our fights, and we will do our job. The women, in if the regime inside Iran, this dictatorship regime, one day will become a stop, it will be just with the hands of women. It will be just with the hands of women because the most oppressed group inside this kind of country are women. And they are still fighting. And they, they do perfect job. We can stop them if you hear us. That's all. That's powerful. I'm feeling really, really moved and invigorated. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. So I just wanted to say something. Um, what you said, Shah, there was like really, really powerful as a Muslim person. So just really admire that you put that together on on women claiming back their freedom from the suppressions. I just wanted to say, actually, one of my favorite genres of YouTube video is watching Iranian women argue with people telling them to put on hijab. Like uh, there's all these videos of Iranian women not wearing hijab in public and then either other religious women or the morality police come and harass them and then watching them talk back that gives me life there was this video of a woman who was being told to wear hijab and then it was on a train and the entire train like beat the crap out of the people telling her to wear hijab and i thought i was just like it gives me life it honestly iranian women are so much <laughs> iranian women are so much more brave than me the fact that they can do this in a totalitarian regime i think that deserves extra respect and admiration Thank you for your point. Thank you. And I, I also wanted to wrap up with the call to action. I think you, you, you pretty much said it, I think, in your last point. You know, I wanted to ask, you know, what can we in the West do to support Iranian women fighting against compulsory hijab? And other than, you know, listening to Iranian women, listening to your stories, publicizing your voices, letting you speak, you know, literally let us talk, you know, let you talk. Um, what are some other things? Uh, is, what other, you know, political call to action would you recommend? Um, thank you for your question. Actually, I mean, you know, I believe really the change will happen with the people and the society and they have the best strategy. They are the only person that they can make the change. They will do it. And the only things that we can, for example, ask to our sister in the other parts of the world, it's again these points that just listen to what we say. I mean, just hear our voices because we need you hear us and understand what is our strategy and take value to this strategy, respect it. So the meaning of this is, for example, if you're fighting against mandatory hijab, if in your community, it's no, it's not that much that they, they say, or I don't know, any other excuse that the government in inside our country pay a lot for this kind of propaganda, you know, out of Iran. They plan a lot for this kind of things. Just don't let this propaganda grow up. Listen at us. Look at us. What we say, what we are doing. Don't take your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Um, we have the strategy. We are doing our fights. But just we don't have access to your communities, you know, to uh, sometimes make clear that how much this is important that don't let this kind of gap grow that is a culture inside Iran. How much this is important that you stop your government to negotiate with our government. How much this kind of things is important for us. If you feel responsibility to hearing us, if our sisters in the other parts put this attention that, oh, okay, they know what they are doing and let's just take a look and support what they exactly are doing and continue this idea that they are making, continue this manifest and give voice to this manifest to our community as well, that maybe they don't have access here. And because they don't have, because Iranian women don't access to my community, my government, the difference, uh, the different uh, parties can change it, can make another face of this, can can change the reality. Let's let's be careful about these parts. Uh, not the reality is is what the women are talking inside that country, and they need just our help for protect this their idea out of these borders, out of their borders. Protect their idea. If you're fighting against mandatory hijab, help us to protect this idea even in your community that don't let them easily say that, okay, it's not a big problem. 
let's go and negotiate with uh, Islamic Republic uh, of Iran. But let's do this. Just protect our idea in your society. And uh, if you are fighting that hard against uh, sexual harassment, don't let that it become invisible out of this border. Let's say, no, the, the Sharia laws is normal and the women are used to do this. It's okay for them. Sometimes I hear this kind of things. That, okay, I mean, it's not that much hard for them. So it looks like that we are, we are strange. Uh, we, are, we are different from the other one. No, it's not like this. We want the same rights. We are fighting so hard for the same rights, so hard actually. And the only things that really, really, really we need it is not any kind of strange help. We just need that to help us that they don't change our manifest, they don't change the reality of what we are doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I guess just one, my last question is also like, there's a lot of um, young women and activists in other Muslim countries that are also looking to organize and also do the same thing that you're doing in Iran. Um, what advice do you have for them? And are you working across international borders with other women in the same or similar situations? No, actually, we don't have any advice. Actually, we look at them and they give sometimes good advice to us. For example, the feminists in Afghanistan, they are doing a fantastic job. Um, they give us lots of ideas. Um, yes, so, so, uh, we have a lots of similar things. Uh, we have a lots of similar goals. We are in touch to each other. We try to find each other. And in some parts, they are mobilizing or fighting or better than us. Uh, in some parts, we are better. Yes, we exchange our knowledge. But in general, I don't know if it's me or for real, it's like this. I see the women movement in Middle East in, or um, in the country that they are suffering for not having freedom. The women on this kind, these parts of the world, they are doing well. I mean, they are fighting very good in, in these years. I feel like uh, in my heart, actually, we have a, a sentence like this in Persian. When I think about what women are doing in this kind of country, for me, it's full of hope. May, maybe sometimes I feel that maybe we cannot see the change finally, but the next generation, I'm sure that they will achieve what they deserve. Thank you so much. I think that's a great note to end on, which is that women are actually doing great. We're making wonderful changes. I don't think any social movement other than feminism has had a greater impact on society in the past hundred years. So, and I think that that progress is only going to continue. And so, yeah, I'm feeling very hopeful and optimistic about the future too. Shaw, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Do you have uh, like an organization or somewhere that women that might be interested across the world can find you and work with you? Yes, of course. Actually, in Me Too, we are trying to do this. We are somehow close to register it as an organization. We are trying for this. And very hard we try for be in touch with the feminists in the other countries, especially in Middle East. Through this, have access to the women in those countries. Me Too, the part that I'm working, and I know that uh, we are really interested about be a place to gather the women together, make organization together, organize together the different movement, different campaigns. So yes, in Me Too, we are trying for this and I invite them if they want to join us. Uh, it will be our pleasure and it will give uh, lots of hope and power to us. Thanks. And we'll drop your Instagram and your Twitter account in the show notes. And if any women are interested, they can, they can check you out. Thanks so much for joining us, Shaw. I'm feeling really invigorated. <laughs> Great. This conversation is making me feel pumped. (laughs) But thank you for having me. And uh, yes, it it was very, very interesting for me. All the gaps, all all the questions, all your point of views. Thank you. I I hope to be more in touch with you. Thanks for listening, Team Female. You can check us out on Twitter at Female Political, as well as our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Female Political Strategy. See you next week. (laughs) 